of our high school students that graduate from Grace, out of our high school ministry at Grace Community Church to make the master's college their very first consideration uh, because I'm so convinced that this is such a wonderful place to be, uh, to grow spiritually and also to get your academic education. It's a special honor, though, for me to be back here in chapel. Uh, this is the place, more than any other place on campus, that God worked in my life, was in this gym during our chapels, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, as we were able to sing uh, together and worship together as a, as a student body. Uh, but then most of all, though, when the Word was brought, when the Word was opened up and we had a, the opportunity, as you do still, to, to hear from a myriad of different guys coming in here and preaching to you God's Word. And it was during those times when God really stimulated me and challenged me and, and confronted me and really matured me in my faith during the times that we spend in the Word uh, in this gym. And I trust that this morning uh, that would be the same experience for you as we look into the Word this morning. Nature can create some of the most terrifying experiences of life, can it? All of us, I think, if you've been here for any length of time in Southern California, have been rocked by an earthquake, right? You could be trapped in a forest fire. You could be swept away by a flood. You could be caught in an avalanche. You could be lost in the mountains during a blinding blizzard. For a second there, that kind of sounds like the 6 o'clock news in Southern California, right? All those things happen all the time. But one of the most terrifying experiences of life has got to be being on a boat in the middle of the ocean or in the middle of a sea, of a, of a sea during a, a, an incredible storm. That's got to be one of the most terrifying, terrifying experiences of life. Now, most of us have never experienced that, but I wanted to look this morning at the experience that Jesus and his disciples had when they were in this boat, if you will. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 22 to 25. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. Now, Luke is writing to a friend of his, Theophilus, and he's recording all the different... Uh, Things that happen in the life of Jesus Christ. And in this section of Luke, in chapter 8, he's primarily focusing on Jesus' ministry in Galilee. In other words, everything that Jesus did in and around the Sea of Galilee. And the story we're going to look at briefly this morning happened on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Let's read it together, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Luke writes... Now it came about on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. And they came to him and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, note this, where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Now I'm sure this is a very familiar story to most of you in this room. But the thing I like about studying the Gospels is basically two things. One, I get to learn about the life of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I learn what he's like so that I can be like him but I also like to learn about how to be a better Christian 
And we learn that, at least I do, from watching the disciples. You know, the twelve go through walking behind Jesus all the time, always sometimes making mistakes, and sometimes we can learn from not only their, their, their good points, but also some of their bad points. And so that's what I hope happens this morning as we look at this passage. But in order for that to happen, I just want to pray before we look at this text and ask the Lord to teach us what He wants us to know this morning. So let's pray. Father God, thank You for this story about Jesus and the disciples. And I pray right now as we study this, for just a few moments, You would teach us what You want us to know so that we could be the people that You want us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. This, this particular miracle that Luke records here is a series of four miracles that, that Luke strings together here at the end of chapter 8 to demonstrate one thing, and that's the authority of Jesus Christ. You see, the supreme proof of Jesus' divinity was His authority over everything and everyone. And Luke shows Theophilus here that Jesus has the authority over the forces of nature. As one man has written, Jesus controlled the uncontrollable. He cured the incurable and He conquered the unconquerable. And this morning we're going to see how Jesus controlled the uncontrollable. He controlled the weather. Now you all watch the weather, I'm sure, right? Growing up and even now sometimes you watch the weather and you watch this thing and you watch these weathermen and, and with all their sophisticated radar equipment, they, it, it almost looks like they can control the weather, right? Here comes a storm up here and it shoots across here and it goes up in the mountains and they, they click their little buttons and the rain's all over the place. I mean, it looks like they're actually controlling how this storm's going to go. But we all know that they can't control the weather. They can't even predict it accurately, can they? It seems like they're guessing most of the time. But that's because, from a human standpoint, weather is totally unpredictable and totally uncontrollable. For me and for you, but not for Jesus. You see, Jesus was human, yes, but He was also divine. He was a man, but He was also God. And in this story, we see those two sides of Christ contrasted. And it's the simple fact here that Jesus had the power to control the weather that is undeniable proof that He is God. Let's look at verse 22 as we begin. Now it came about on one of those days that he and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Now Luke doesn't tell us specifically when this, uh, this boat trip occurred, but Matthew and Mark, if you look in the parallel accounts, uh, tell us, uh, they tell us that it happened in the evening after a long day of teaching. And Jesus says to the guys, to his disciples, let's the lake to the other side. So they got in one of their boats and started sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 23. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. I think that's interesting. Jesus fell asleep. He was so exhausted from a long day of teaching and ministering that, as Mark tells us, he crashed in the back of the boat. Well, he didn't say he crashed in the back of the boat. That's how high school students say it, so that's why I said it that way. But that's what happened. He fell asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. That's how tired he was. And I think that's, encur- that's encouraging to me to realize that Jesus Christ was like you and I in the sense that he got tired. He can relate, especially to a hectic sc- college schedule that you have to do sometimes, even all-nighters and things like that, and, and just a strenuous schedule. You get tired. And Jesus can relate to you in that. 
And you should draw encouragement from that fact. But it says he fell asleep back in verse 23, and a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake. Now you have to understand a little bit about the Sea of Galilee to understand what's going on here. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. So it's really not a sea, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a big lake. And it's surrounded by hills and by, by uh, mountains that are cut with these ravines that come right down onto the shores of the lake. And what happens at times is that wind will rush off the top of these mountains down through those ravines and come rushing out over the lake and that cold air meets that warm air. Boom! You got yourself a storm. And the Sea of Galilee was famous for its sudden storms. Storms could strike quickly and, and uh, unexpectedly and very viciously in a short period of time. And look what it says here. It says that a fierce gale of wind descended upon the lake and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Matthew refers to this as a great storm. Literally, a great shaking. So violent that Mark tells us that waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was in the process of being filled up, of filling up. And Luke tells us that it was swamped. And I think the reaction of the disciples is the same reaction that you and I would have. He says, and they began to be in danger. They were in danger. This was a very dangerous situation. The boat was ready to sink. And the disciples, as we'll see in a moment, were scared that they were going to die. Now remember, what were some of the disciples? They were fishermen, right? They were, they were expert sailors. They probably grew up around the Sea of Galilee and they were very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. They probably knew it like the back of their hands and they probably had seen many, many storms and, and weathered many, many storms. But the fact that these guys were so terrified that they thought they were going to drown tells me that this was the big one or at least the biggest one that they'd ever experienced in, in their lives. And so look at what happens in verse 24. And they came to him and woke him up. Now, does that sound funny to you? I mean, just picture this, okay? Picture this scene. We got, the, we got this incredible storm going on, okay? We got the winds howling. We got the boat rocking up and down. The water splashing all over the place. Waves crashing over the bow of the boat. And Jesus is sleeping. I mean, he didn't even wake up. I mean, you thought your roommate could sleep through everything, right? This is unbelievable that Jesus could, could sleep through this situation, through this storm. But I think the key to understanding how he could sleep through such an incredible catastrophe as this is because he had nothing to worry about. Why? He was in control. He was in control of the whole thing. What was there to worry about? He knew what was going on. He had to be woken up by the screams of his disciples. And look what they said. They woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Matthew says they said, save us, Lord. Mark tells us that they said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care? Some people would say, well, there you go. There's a contradiction in the Bible. That's why I don't believe the Bible. Because see, they said three different things. How could they say, listen, there was more than one disciple that was scared to death and thinking about drowning, okay? So you got 12 different guys yelling 12 different things, right? And that's why everyone said, had recorded something different. But look at how Jesus reacts here. And being aroused, I like that, being aroused, he rebuked the wind and the surging waves and they stopped and it became calm. 
That word rebuke there is the same word used when he talked to a demon or a sickness. He rebuked it. Mark tells us what he literally said was, Hush, be still. And you know what? Everything became still. Everything was completely calm. Now it's one thing for the wind to stop blowing immediately, right? And if he goes, Hush, be still, and the wind stops. But the fact that the waves also stopped... That's unbelievable to me. I mean, you know what it's like? You go swimming, you're in the swimming pool, right? And you go slosh around, you can get out of the pool, but what usually takes takes some time, for, it usually takes some time for the waves to, to die down, right? But not when Jesus speaks. Jesus said, be still, and instantly everything stopped. The wind stopped howling, and the sea, the Sea of Galilee became like glass. That's power. That's authority. You try that next time, or when you walk out of here and talk to the Santa Ana winds like that. And see what they do. It's not happening. Because you don't have the authority. I don't have the authority like Jesus had. Because Jesus was God. Listen to what Psalm 89 says. Verse 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is like thee, O mighty Lord, thy faithfulness also surrounds thee. Thou dost rule the swelling of the sea. When its waves rise, thou dost still them. See, that's God. That's talking about God. That's talking about Jesus. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, where is your faith? So after rebuking the storm, he turns to the disciples and rebukes them. And he rebukes them with a question. And he says, where is your faith? What is faith? Faith is simply trusting God, believing in what God has told us. Taking God at his word is that last song that my wife sang. That I will take you at your word. I'll stand by your word. See, Jesus, in that question, where is your faith? What he's doing is he's implying that you didn't trust me. Guys, you didn't trust me. You didn't believe my words. Wasn't I the one who said, let's go to the other side of the lake, not let's go to the bottom of the lake? That's not what I said. I said, let's go across the lake. Didn't you believe me? Why were you so afraid? Didn't you know that as long as I was here in the boat with you that you'd be safe? In fact, that would be the safest place for you in the entire planet. The entire universe at this time would be to be on this boat in the middle of the storm with me. Why, why did you get afraid? Why didn't you just trust me? We're a lot like that, aren't we, as Christians? We act just like the disciples in this storm when we face trials, right? I mean, you're sailing along across the lake of life, just having a good time. And all of a sudden, this tremendous storm suddenly hits our lives. And we react just like the disciples. We freak out, right? We, we fret, we fear, we, we get the bucket out, we start bailing water. We run around frantically, Jesus, Jesus, wake up, what's the deal? Are you sleeping? Don't you care about me? Come on, don't you see I'm ready to die here? Don't we do that? And we completely forget that God is totally in control. We for completely forget that God is all wise, that God is all knowing, that God is all loving, that God is all powerful. And that's what these disciples forgot. See, God allows all of us as Christians to go through storms, doesn't He? He allows trials to come and buffet our lives for a reason. He does it to test our faith. He does it to, to, to see if we're going to believe Him, whether we're going to trust Him, whether or not we're going to take Him at His word. And you know what? As he, the more storms that we sail through, 
our, our faith is strengthened. Some storms that you might be in today, if you were to have experienced two years ago, three years ago, you would have been sunk. You would have been down on the bottom of the lake. Because see, but now you can handle this storm, a bigger storm, a badder storm, because you've been strengthened. Your faith has been strengthened through the other smaller storms that you've come through in life. The exciting thing about the storms of life is this. Even though God allows these storms to come, He never lets us go through them alone. Amen? He may bring them up. He may bring these storms down on the Sea of Galilee for a reason, to test our faith. But guess what? He doesn't ever leave us alone to go through it by ourselves. You see, if Jesus is on board your boat, if you will, as a Christian, what's there to fear? What's there to worry about? Because see, that's the safest place in the entire universe to, to be is right smack dab in the middle of that trial. Because that's where Jesus is. you got nothing to fear. It may seem like he's sleeping, right? I mean, it, because, you, because you're praying, you're worried, you're looking around saying, man, this is looking, it's getting worse and worse out here. It's getting blacker and blacker. I don't know what the deal is. How come, how, it sounds like Jesus, it seems like Jesus is sleeping in the boat because you don't get any response. But he cares deeply for you and he won't let you perish. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 43. I'll just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 43 Verses 1 to 3. But now, now, thus says the Lord, your Creator, O God, and He who forms you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now listen to this. See the parallel. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. Does that encourage you this morning? I hope it does. Because that applies to you and I in principle. That it doesn't matter what we pass through, whether it be water or floods or fire, God's with us. He's our God. Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd, in verse 4, some of you have this memorized. The psalmist says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Because you're with me. So I don't have anything to be afraid about. Are you in a trial this morning? In a group this size, I'm sure that there's a number of you that right now are in a boat in the middle of a storm. And you're bailing water as fast as you can bail water. And you're wondering how in the world this is going to turn out. Can I ask you a question this morning? Where is your faith? Where is your faith? See, that's what Jesus would say if he was standing here this morning. Where's your faith? Trust God's Word. Believe in this book. Understand that Christ is with you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And God's love and His power will bring you through this storm. Bring you through to the other side. And you know what? I'll just remind you this. Where you're at right now in this trial, it's the safest and best place to be in the entire universe. Because you're right where God wants you and you're, He's right there with you. Amen?
After Jesus asked the disciples a question, they asked themselves a question. And look what it says in verse 25. He said to them, Where's your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one, one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? In other words, they just go, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? They're asking each other. It says they were very fearful and amazed. They were confused. I mean, you think about it. You put yourself in that situation. If you didn't understand completely, as we do now, looking back at this situation, but you're in this boat with Jesus as one of his disciples, and all of a sudden this guy, who, who looks so much just like one of you, another guy, who's laying in the back of the boat, sleeping just like us, gets tired just like us, gets up, says, peace be still, everything obeys. I mean, you'd be asking the same question. Who is this guy? And I think it began to sink in who this guy really was. Because they realized that the only one who had the right and the power to control the elements was the one who created the elements. And if I could, I want to slow down the, the minds of the disciples. Because I think they probably went through a thought process like this. Okay, the winds and the waves, they just obeyed Jesus. So that must mean that he was the one who created them. So that means Jesus is the creator. And so that means Jesus is God. That means God's in our boat. Ah! You know, I mean, you just think about that. that they, it just freaked them out. And I think they were more afraid of Jesus than they had been of the storm. I mean, because they realized that it's, as our pastor would say, my, my pastor, your president, our, uh, Dr. MacArthur, that it's scarier, it's more fearful to have God in your boat than a storm outside your boat, right? And that's exactly what they found out. They got This is when they really got scared. you got to give the disciples some credit here, though. They asked the right question, didn't they? And it's the same question that we need to ask ourselves. Who is this guy, Jesus? Who is this guy? Now, I know that this is the Master's College, and, and it's firmly committed to the doctrine of the deity of Christ, and, and I'm sure everyone in here is firmly convinced of that doctrine or you wouldn't have applied and you wouldn't be attending here. But you know what I think as Christians sometimes we let those awesome doctrines that the, that the scriptures teach us just become ordinary. We just kind of put it up on the shelf there and go, yeah, I understand the deed of Christ. And it loses its wonder. It loses its awesomeness. And I think we, we rip ourselves off from enjoying all the benefits that come from meditating on the awesome doctrine of the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus is the creator. That's what these guys came to the conclusion of. Jesus is the one who created all this stuff and that's why he can control it. Listen to a few verses about the fact that Jesus is the creator. John 1.3 All things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1.16 For in him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world... 
and He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. See, these verses teach us one simple truth, that Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of everything. He created, he created everything. The trees and the sky and the mountains and the dirt and the fish and the trees. I mean, it, it's just, a, it blows my mind the irony of this whole thing, that Jesus was the creator. You say, what do you mean the irony of it all? Well, let me have you think with me about something that maybe you've never thought about in this particular way. But think about this. Think about Jesus as the creator in this light. Jesus created the hides of animals that would one day be crafted into the leather whip that he was beaten with for you and for me. Jesus created a rose bush and he caused thorns to grow on it that would one day be twisted into the crown that he wore for you and for me. Jesus created a tree and he caused it to grow that would one day be cut down and made into the cross on which he would hang for you and for me. Jesus created the iron that would one day be shaped into the nails that were driven into his hands for you and for me. Jesus created the little babies who would one day grow up to be the men that put him on trial and put him to death for you and for me. See, Jesus did all that stuff. He created all those things for you and for me. Even though he knew all these things would be the things that caused him to die, he still created them because he loves us. As we close this morning, I want you to turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Because I think that this passage in Psalm 107 is a vivid description of this exact event in the life of Jesus and his disciples on the boat, in the storm, on the Sea of Galilee. Psalm 107, look at verse 23. gives us a vivid picture of some guys in a storm on the ocean in a boat. Psalm 107, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters. They have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep, for He spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. See, that's a good picture of where some of you are at this morning, isn't it? You feel just like that, that you are right in the middle of a major storm in your life. Say, what, what should I do? What should my response be? Well, look at verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. So your response this morning should be to cry out to God, to cry out to the Lord in faith, believing in His Word that God is faithful, and He will bring you through to the other side. And that's exactly what He promises here. Look at verse 29. And he caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. In other words, they got to where they wanted to go. Look at verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. You say, well, I'm not in a trial this morning, so this really doesn't apply to me too much. Oh yeah, it does. 
Look at verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness, for His wonders to the sons of men. Are you grateful this morning, Christian, for God's loving kindness? When you think back of all that Christ did, all that He created, which in in a sense would, would be the thing that destroyed Himself for you and for me, are you grateful for that? Are you just blown away by God's loving kindness for you? Not for all Christians, but for you personally. See, your response this morning, our response should be one of great gratitude when we understand that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer and he's our redeemer. We should be overwhelmed with gratitude for our wonderful salvation. Let's pray.